welcome to the Zero Ambitions podcast. Today we are covering the talks and keynotes from Best Fest 2022. And in this session, I am joined by Jeff Colley, my co-host on the podcast and the editor of Best House Plus, Eddie George from Elevate, Juan Temidario from Microsoft, and Catherine Cosgrove, the chair of Scottish Ecological Design Association. Welcome to the podcast, and thank you for coming. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Alex. The first thing is, is that you were on a panel discussing the key topics of retrofit, passive house, modern methods of construction, technology, and sustainable materials. So I think my first question to you all is, what were the key takeaways that the audience gained from this session? What do you think those were? Uh, for me, one of the key takeaways was around, we're all talking about reuse of buildings, reuse of materials, and there hasn't been enough focus on that historically. Um, so it's good to hear everyone talking about that alongside the interaction with humans. And I talked about human-centred developments. So for me, it was good to hear other people drawing on the fact that we need to consider them in our decision-making. I'd, I'd echo Elle's comments there, particularly around the, the people-centricity. Often when we talk about digital technology, that's almost at the forefront because it's the flashy stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I often say that technology can kind of solve for anything you want in 2022. Mm-hmm. It's actually quite, it's almost like magic these days in terms of what it can do. The key sort of driver and lever is actually how do you bring people along? Recognizing that different different stakeholders have differing ambitions and outcomes that they want from that activity. I guess in today's conversation is the drive towards net zero, but it's how do you discern what value means to those individuals so that you can bring them along on that journey. Very true. Yeah, it's nice that a lot of people come up after I had given my talk. So first of all, saying, yeah, you're really nervous. That's good that you go over that. But uh, also just saying that they, they had, were t- trying to share their reuse stories. You know, whenever I said, let's try and reuse materials, let's try and reuse components, there were a lot of people coming up just saying, yeah, that's what I thought as well. Yeah, that was really good to hear. Yeah, how can we make that happen? I'm thinking, yeah, how can we make that happen? It, is, it seems like it's a common sense solution, but quite difficult to put into practice. So right, I'm now thinking, how do we make that happen? Guess question from me. Do you think that's because people don't know where to start? No, it's because at the moment the construction industry doesn't consider it an option. Okay. It, first option is you go and buy new materials. Everything, and I, I had a few interesting conversations, people say, but we had just fitted this and then somebody came and took it out again. I said, well, why didn't they reuse it? Because the contractor said they wanted everything new. And you go, right, okay, we've got an industry problem at the top, but actually... Why was that attitude in the first place? Why would you take out something that's capable of doing the same job and replace it with the exact same type of thing? You go, okay, there's maybe a wee bit of a misconception about how you can use things. Why you use things? What is safe? What is unsafe? Because again, people were asking Well, well what's the vested interest for the, the contractor, for instance? Or for, you know, there's too many vested interests to encourage you to, to, to chuck something out before mm-hmm. it's long before it's time. And then put something new in. Yeah. So that, that means that whole model needs to be turned on its head, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There is a perception that new is always better. And again, coming from conservation, I can tell you that's not always the case because trying to find roof slates that are the same thickness <laughs> and you know have the same look and will last another hundred years plus. Trying to get new slates to do that isn't as easy as it sounds. But the existing ones that have been on buildings for hundred plus years seem to work quite well as long as you don't damage them. So. Can you make better use of what you've got without having to get new all the time? Well, yeah, undoubtedly you can, but that's an easy one. Slates are, roof slates are an easy one, everyone can see it. Much harder if you were saying, well, what about internal walls? How much can you save from an internal wall? Because the first thing MD does when they want to change things in commercial world is change the walls, change the layout, and all of that goes in a skip, and then it goes, disappears off to somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And do you think, is, is that because people can't evidence, they don't have to undertake 
that change whereby they have to use yeah. a new component or new material. Th- there isn't enough lever to say it will cost you more to use something new. Mm. And that's with the way that VAT works on materials. That's it's always a big issue that you'll charge your VAT and retrofit, but they want a new build, so it's easy to build new. Yeah. Uh, and that it, this is like always comes up in all the conversations we have about sustainable. But actually, time is a big factor as well because if I'm saying take down and set aside for reuse, there's a certain amount of extra time goes into having to take things apart and carefully take them apart and set them aside and find a reuse for it them. Need, it needs tight rules and regulations, doesn't it? And I think oftentimes the conflict between, for this particular subject, the conflict between different standards and different regulatory requirements can make it harder to do this. So, For instance, I know a concrete product manufacturer in Ireland who any when they do their, their quality checks on their production line for their blocks, anything that doesn't pass muster gets put into an, a separate pile. And they're currently, because of, because that's regarded by the Environmental Protection Agency in Ireland as hazardous waste, they have to, to, to landfill it, basically. Mm-hmm. Perfectly good. There would be perfect applications for, mm-hmm. that, for, for that concrete. Mm-hmm. So, you know, th- th- there, are, there are regulatory issues there. And I don't know what the answer is. And I say that as somebody who's come through it. Like in Ireland, we've had scandals recently with... Uh, mica and pyrites kind of contaminating concrete and you know taxpayers now having to to pay out what will be probably in the order of hundreds of millions of euro worth of 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 costs to kind of rebuild lots of houses because of poor quality so reconciling that and doing it in a way that enables us to find proper reuses for materials is critical i think one answer to it is to increase conversation and that's the whole reason why having so much talk about reuse and retrofit at best fest is such a good thing because I've been to other conferences and literally the word retrofit and reuse has not been used all day. And I've, you know, I've asked a question, you know, put my hand up, is retrofit a swear word? Because nobody has mentioned it at all. So it's been really refreshing this morning to have so much talk about this really important aspect that we need to actually start to legislate for. It's, it is a very complex subject and it's a lot easier talking about new build because you control just about every element that goes into that. It's a known quantity, quite literally. But uh, when you're working with existing buildings, the first thing you discover is you don't know the half of it until you start working with them you know they give up their secrets slowly and that that's the type of thing where you need the right approach because there isn't a one-size-fits-all solution and again this is something that's not very popular when you talk about many solutions for retrofit you've got to understand what you've got first and work out where the problems might be and the benefits and then say okay i can't make the problems any worse but you know, maybe that'll put a wee bit of a break on what you can achieve that isn't necessarily going to be the best ever performance. It'll be the best I can achieve under this circumstance. So as representatives of the different facets of the challenge and solutions we, we face in the built environment, how do you envision all working together to deliver, to deliver one coherent solution? And is that, do you think that's even possible? I don't think there's one solution. I think there's lots of solutions. Mm-hmm. And it's valuable for people to say, I've tried this. This is what I learned. Um, because for some people, they pick that up and go, I've got the same problem, I've got the same issues, I can learn from that. But there isn't one answer. There are so many answers and we won't know the half of it till we start working on it. And that's what I find interesting, working with lots of different people because they bring their experience to any of the projects that we have. And they could say, oh, have you thought about that? And I go, oh, genuinely, no, I haven't thought about I would never have thought about that, but tell me more about it because that might unlock something else that I was struggling with. Yeah. It feels to me like... It's not impossible to have like overarching frameworks, uh, you know, guiding principles and standards and so on. That that that. Uh, so even if, for instance, give an example. Even if we talk 
qualm about um, about using information technology to manage energy use in buildings better. That's great, but we, but we need to, to understand the consequences. One of the uh, IoT companies I know in this space who are monitoring social housing is talking about conditions, uh, monitoring indoor environmental quality conditions in social housing, conditions achieved in Scottish social housing uh, in recent, recently where temperatures have been dropping as low as four degrees in occupied properties and uh, uh, hitting for months on end temperatures in the range of six or seven degrees. That's a very energy efficient house in, in, the, in, in the real world sense because it's not using anything, you know, because yes. the occupant can't afford to use anything. But so in other words, you kind of need, I feel like you need a framework that has a few different targets put together and that you're thinking, well, hang on a second. If we, because what we're going to see when we come through this winter is not just huge human costs to the energy prices and the substandard kind of building stock. It's going to, to the asset value, even if you're cynical and only focused on the asset itself, um, the, the asset value the, of, of the stock itself is going to be declining because buildings will fall into disrepair. So, and I, I know that's not what you're talking about, Kwam. Um, you're still assuming that the building is being maintained to a reasonable level, I'm sure. But um, I do have that concern about if energy use, if, if, if temperatures are in unoccupied parts of buildings, for instance, are allowed to drop to very low levels, does that present risks to the asset, for instance, you know? It, it does, and one of the things that we explored when reviewing the retro, retrofit space was a an, an multitude of factors. So you talk there around sort of the financial models behind, you know, the impact on the asset as it, in terms of its monetary value, but also as well in terms of investing in retrofit activity. How do you incentivize financial institutions with the right models so that they they understand that as they're investing in the asset, it appreciates. Unfortunately, we live in a capitalist society, and hence why when I was talking earlier, I talked about linking the sustainability agenda and the social value to the commercial value for the enterprise, because that's only how we truly move at pace and scale. And so it's a, it's a multitude of things. It's Yes, it's the asset value, but it's also as well, you know, even if the, the investment is there for retrofit activity, do we have capacity in the supply chain to deliver retrofit activity? Um, I can't remember who it was that followed us in the afternoon, but the, they, they showed the multitude. And I think it was actually Chris before us. He showed the multitude of supply chain entities, everything from your, your single man slash woman cladder to, you know, large scale organizations. But how do you incentivize that capacity and increase in demand? And there has to be value in it. And going back to my original point around discerning value for each of the stakeholders across that value chain, we can't do this at scale and at pace quickly enough unless that's discerned. And that's really where I believe that Digital and digital technology is the ultimate disruptor in that. Um, what we need is a few convening forces on a small scale to demonstrate that possibility. And to your point around what can we do from our respective streams, I think from a digital standpoint, it's demonstrating the art of the possible of technology to really land and infer decision-making across these different facets that can enable return on investment models, that can enable monitoring of energy utilization. He talks there about IoT sensors. We've worked with a a housing association around monitoring damp and mold levels, right? You can take various different elements of data, air, temperature, humidity to infer some form of mold or damp in a certain area and remit. And what then could that trigger? Could we then infer decision-making around maybe somebody needs to go on site and actually conduct some remedial activity? Yeah. So technology is there. We just need the convening minds to coalesce around, actually, there's a bit in it for me more broadly than the economic points, but also the social value aspects, because they're linked in, you know, they're not s separate in my, in my that, opinion. That's exactly what I was going to say about it. They're all, everything's linked and we've been put in these four categories, but 
I think that's just for the purposes of the talk, really, because I think we're all involved in all of them. And um, these, you know, you can't separate out sustainability from MMC because the two are inherently linked and you can't you can't separate digital from MMC either. And I'm quite new to the field of retrofit, but I'm seeing all the massive possibilities for MMC within retrofit and digital. And so the, the one leads to all the others. So for the purposes of the talk, we were given our four areas, but you cannot separate out the social value, the economic value and the sustainability value from bringing these things forward for a sustainable environment. Yeah. Let the record show, just very briefly, sorry, Catherine, uh, that uh, most people, because I know this is a pet hate of, of Alex's as well as mine, um, <laughs> that MMC, most of our listeners probably know what it is, but it stands for Modern Methods of Construction. I don't think we mentioned that beforehand. No, we haven't. Yeah. No, yeah. Thank you. Uh, no, I, there's, a, there's a huge potential for digital technology and everything that we're talking about, because an awful lot of it's data management. You know, it, we're talking about trying to take exemplar projects and learn the lessons from it and roll it out at large scale. You could need digital technology to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but part of the thing is we don't know what we don't know the skill, scope of the problems. We don't know the potential solutions that are out there. We don't know how well it would work. We don't know um, how it would work if it was scaled up from small scale to big scale. But these are all things that we can actually run as, as data models. You know, if you've got enough of a sample base, that will then let you have a fairly good idea about how it might work rolled out to scale. Um, and also the information that you gather from all of that, especially the indoor environmental monitoring, um, has such a, a, a knock-on effect on how the health of the people who are in the buildings. The health of the people who are in the buildings is actually the way you unlock everything because everybody is concerned about their health, their children's health, their parents' health, their relationships, all their friends' health, all of these things. Health is the way that you get people to make changes. And if you can, say, demonstrate that you had the worst performing stock, you carried out a sensitive retrofit, having taken into account all of this information you know about the buildings, and this is what happened later on, and the health of the people changed like this, you know, the less days of work, less days of school, um, less colds, less reliance on, on certain drugs, less um, impact upon the, the health of the community, everyone that you've done the work for, then that has a significant benefit upon your community, your nation, everything. So what you're looking at is a solution that affects many different areas. And when you do that, you're not looking at it just in terms of is that building performing better? You're looking at it as how much benefit can I do by carrying out that work? This is it. It reminds me when we talk about the use of digital technology in this regard. There's a Spielberg movie, A Minority Report, which you know most of us have probably seen. And the whole principle, of course, is, is the idea is sol- this pre-crime detective thing where they they solve crimes before, before they've happened. happened. We're some companies like iopt assets, for instance, or there are others, Switchy as well. I think fall into this space are using this technology now for some of their clients to spot problems. IOPT even have a, a mold countdown uh, in days till mold predicted. Yeah, um, mold radar, something like you know, that, isn't it? Um, so, so that's really important because the next thing linked to that is kind of building pathology and understanding mm-hmm. why the building has failed. But, you know, we can, yes, there there are ethical issues around loss of, uh, you know, freedom or, or, you know, where your data is going and all that needs to be kind of thrashed out. But I think there's this huge scope here using this technology benevolently to, to pinpoint where we need to prioritize, you know, where are the highest risk of things going wrong, for instance, and, and, and where interventions are needed. I would like to add to that, though, that there is also a big element about culture as well. I think there's a culture shift that needs to happen because the technology is there, 
I don't think we, we need to have to invent new things. I think we have everything that we need. It's a question of how do you bring it together and come up with, with new ideas from that perspective. But it's changing people's perception of what a home is, how it works even, because we know that homes are going to become systems. And people still, who was it was saying today that we don't even know as much about our own home as we do about our washing machine or our car when we buy them. I mean, that's quite incredible. Yeah. So that's also something that we need to perceive as technology is on one side and culture is on the other. And those two, I think, are where we can find a, a solution. Uh, if I just pick up on that in terms of, uh, it's a great segue because I was actually going to mention the skills challenge as well. Yes. Right? Um, there's a digital skills enablement piece there to support a lot of this activity but also as well what i see in industry is this convergence between domain expertise and digital capability the barriers are breaking down yeah um, and so actually there's almost this unique form of do we need to sort of redress the way in which we architectural urban planning mm -hmm. you know all these sorts of courses incorporating a digital element around baseline business intelligence reporting for example i think there's a there's a there's a combination of these these facets. In fact, the domain expertise won't expire. It will only grow in need because of the nuance that you need to interpret the outputs from the data. And so, because actually the data is actually becoming more intelligent. Nowadays, actually, data is becoming so intelligent with machine learning and artificial intelligence is actually inferring decision-making. So actually it's the discernment layer that actually is the most important. So I guess what I'm saying as an encouragement is the people around this table are well equipped to deal with the challenges of tomorrow. Maybe it's people in my world that need to retrain. <laughs> I'm not sure I would agree with you. But <laughs> just, be surprised. Just being conscious of time, just wrapping at the end, so I'd like to ask you one last question with regards to Best Fest, and is why is it important to have events like Best Fest? Why do you think that this is, why should we be doing this every year, obviously, because the next one is, I think, on the 1st of November 2023. So what, in your view, is the, the value? There's an awful lot of people that we need to bring with us and one of the problems with this is that a lot of us here are we're in an echo chamber and we're all probably already on board with a lot of the ideas that we're talking about but really we need to bring along all the people who are not here and it's understanding how, what can we do and I don't think scaring people is the answer you know you want people to take less flights you don't put actual snakes on a plane. That's not the answer. You know, we need to think like... I don't know. <laughs> we need to... That would, that would stop. That it would, would stop, stop people would from flying, yeah. maybe. Um, but maybe um, just tap into what makes people excited. So, um, you know, keeping up with the Kardashians retrofit project. You know, maybe uh, yes. that people... Maybe get more inspired. And I think people think that it's not anywhere near where they are. They, they, they don't feel connected to these changes that they need to make. So, And they feel like changes are going to happen to them. So it's very much bringing them on the journey and making sure that they're part of the decision-making process. Uh, Alex was, and myself were talking about this yesterday, actually. We need to learn from the bad guys who are doing all this sophisticated but very simple and consistent messaging on social media and so on, you know. Um, we need to get... Remember Alexander Nix, the Cambridge Analytica guy? <laughs> we should get him. <laughs> Talk about data. Yeah. Get, we, we need ethical use of data. Yeah, that's, what, that's what we're all about at Microsoft, just for, 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 for the podcast there. <laughs> no, it's, it's interesting because I, I, I go to quite a number of these events and I'm trying to move out from my comfort zone and go to other types of events I would normally be in because people have got different ideas. And the more I learn about it, I think, well, this is what we need to do, is everyone needs to share their experience and, and their skills. I think it's really important to emphasise that, that we value the skills that are out there just now, and that's going to be critical to helping us uh, manage change and things that, are, that we're going to have to do. So what I want to do is say to people, 
what can I learn from you? How can I help you to learn? And, and the more that you go to these things and just talk normally, um, people will come up and go, oh yeah, that's really good. I thought about that as well, but I didn't want to say anything. Yeah. And you go, well, I'm encouraging you. Please say something. Don't think you're alone in this. And the other thing is you might come to something like this, meet someone who says something that inspires you or see something that inspires you. And I'm a strong believer in the don't tell me, show me. Like, I want to see these robots. I want to see these rigs of materials. That um, What does it look like? What does it feel like? And I think that gives a sort of, it gives you a real, like, this is how I can do it. And then to take that away and spread it to the masses. So these events are so important for that point of view. I think as well for me, I know that the, the, the delegates included a lot of the, there was, it was a pretty impressive kind of mix of people in, in terms of, you know, very serious people like policy policymakers and so on. And even if there's a degree of consensus emerging, hopefully, around the principles that, we're to, that, that we need to apply and the, the, the approaches we're taking, well, that's no, no bad thing in a way. If we can get audiences of the right people, and yes, complete, couldn't agree with you more about the need to, to kind of uh, to, to, to spread the messages and, and work out how to, 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 to tell these stories in a way that's kind of that captures ordinary people. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think I think you know uh, having consistent, strong messaging to people who have the ability to, to influence policies, the kind of thing I would hope might come from something like Best Fest. Well, I think on that note, I think we'll stop here because we could be carrying on for a very long time. Um, but thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Elle. Thank you, Catherine. And thank you, Juan. Thank you for coming and uh, sharing your thoughts. What about me? Yeah. You're one of the co-hosts. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> Oh, yeah, thank you, Jeff, as well. It's a deliberate slice. It's grand. <laughs> noted. Yeah. And, uh, yes, see you uh, hopefully on another episode in the future. Thanks. Awesome. Thank, thank you for having us. Thank you.